Hey, hello, Overlake. Let's try that again. Hello, Overlake. You're beautiful. Go ahead and grab your notes out of your handout. My name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team. Very excited about what God is doing in our church. I'm very honored to be a part of this journey with you. I want to just jump right in today with a verse. And this is one of those verses, and there are many, many in Scripture, but this is one of those verses. It really, I don't, it doesn't matter how long you've been on the spiritual journey with Jesus. This is one of those foundational verses that again and again we come back to and we're challenged by, we're stretched by, that, that we are, we're, we're motivated by and changed by. And, and so it's, it's almost like this is one of those passages we can never get on the other side of. The, the, the whole journey, we're going to be trying to get our arms around this one. And so let me just go after it. It's Romans 12, 2. The apostle Paul is writing. God's given him this inspiration, and he's, he writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And there's a lot in there, and, and so you can just see, okay, so um, there's this will of God. God has this will for us, and when we have the renewed mind that he wants to bring us, then we are able to live out that life, and we're able to show how good God's will really is. But then on the front end of the passage, there's this, the, the opposing force, right? It's that we would be conformed to this world. And, and the, the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. No, don't, don't get wrapped up into the pattern of the culture, right? Don't, don't let yourself get conformed to how the world is living. But instead, it's, it's let yourself be transformed, that, that we would have this transformation, this metamorphosis that happens. How? By the renewing of your mind. In another translation of scripture, it says, let God transform you by changing the way you think. And so this renewed mind, this is what ultimately it's going to change each and every one of us as we follow Jesus. Ultimately, this is how God brings his kingdom through our lives. It's, it's by having this renewed mind, sort of a, a new river of synapses happening in our, in our brains, that, that we would see things totally differently, and because we see things totally differently, we behave differently. And I want to show you a quick video. I, I think it's pretty funny, but the, the idea is that in, in this video, in a moment, in an instant, people change from thinking and talking and seeing the world this way to a complete and utter transformation. Go ahead and watch this. Hi, I'm Ramizin Kano, and I'm about to get booed by Sun Yankees fan. Are you a Yankee fan? Yes. Now, Robinson Cano is coming back to Yankee Stadium tomorrow night for the first time since becoming a Seattle Mariner. Are you going to boo him? Of course. All right, well, we have this picture of him right behind you, so whenever you're ready, go ahead and boo it as much as you want. Boo! You know what? You no longer welcome here. Bye. Try again. You no longer. Oh, oh, that's How you doing? Now, Robinson Cano is coming back to Yankee Stadium tomorrow night for the first time mm -hmm. since becoming a Seattle Mariner. Are you, are you going to boo him? I am going to boo the out of him. All right. Well, uh, whenever you're ready, go ahead. All right. Give him your best boo. Boo! You suck! That was it. That was awesome. Maybe try, try it again. Should I try it again? Yeah. <laughs> How you doing, Robbie? Welcome back to New York. Thank you. You're back, right? Yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> no problem, man. 
Are you gonna boo him? Yes, I am. Boo! All right. Well, we actually have this picture of him right behind you. So whenever you're ready, go ahead, boo him as much as you want. Boo, Robinson. You should have stayed here. When is this in New York? Not in Seattle. Try booing him one more time. Boo! Stay in Seattle. We don't need you in New York. Hey! How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Go ahead, boo him as much as you want. Boo! Oh! Whoa! <laughs> How you doing? Yeah, thanks for the move. Yeah, no problem. I, 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 I won't put you. I won't put you. I won't actually put you. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be rooting for you to uh, play well, but not win. <laughs> Are you gonna boo him? Absolutely. All right. Well, whenever you're ready, go ahead and uh, boo him for as long as you want. Right here. Yep. Boo! Boo! Whoa! Actually, try one more. One more? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> Listen, about that, right? Here's what happened. Listen, about that. So you see what happens, right? Just in an instant, there is a complete transformation. Why? Because of the renewing of their mind. Suddenly, everything's changed, and now they're, they're free to live this whole new lifestyle. So I, I want you to see this, because this is true for the, for the follower of Jesus. It's true sort of like in all, all ways of life. Like, like, this is what God wants. This is the work that he's doing. The Bible calls this sanctification. And so what God wants, he wants to renew your mind so that you'll view injustice like he does. God wants to renew your mind so that you'll view sin like he does. God wants to renew your mind so you'll view loving one another the way he does. Is this making sense? God wants to renew our mind so that everything that we do, how, how we view the world, how we interact with it, it's a transformed way of living because our mind has been Renewed. Now, let me tell you the one topic that fallen mere mortals have the hardest time being renewed about, and that's in our finances. It's the way we handle money. It's the way we view it, the way we crave it, the way we see it as a solution for life's problems. The way in which we interact with money says a whole lot about whether or not we're allowing God to renew our minds and living transformed or whether we're being conformed to the pattern of this world. And so what I wanna do is just jump right in. If you're filling in the blanks, the first one's really simple. This idea of a renewed mind, we see, number one, that God owns it all. That God owns it all, that it's all his. He's the one who made it all. He owns it all. Everything is the Lord's. I found a couple of pretty interesting quotes about money this week. The first one, it says this, the trick is to stop thinking of it as your money. Of course, it was the IRS auditor who said that. Uh, next quote, it says, dogs have no money. Isn't that amazing? They're broke their entire lives, but they get through. You know why dogs have no money? No pockets. That was Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, I thought that was funny, and apparently you, you don't. Um, <laughs> if you think about dogs for a moment, it, it, obviously it's true. They're broke like their whole lives. That, that is a true statement. But you know what a dog's favorite thing to do is? Whatever it's doing right then. 
Okay, think about it. Dogs are just, this, they, they just have this incredible, generous spirits like, this is my favorite thing. You're, oh, you're letting me out in the yard? This is my favorite thing. Oh, you're letting me back in the house? This is my favorite thing. Oh, it's time for food? This is my favorite thing. Time for a walk? This is my favorite thing. Oh, it's bedtime? This is my favorite thing. Like everything is a dog's favorite thing. And, and it's so interesting, right? Even Jesus, when he's walking around, he's saying, hey, I want you to look at the birds, I, w- I want you to see the flowers. I, I want you to, to notice creation, and then I want you to see the contentment. I, I-, I want you to see that there's no anxiety about what's happening tomorrow, but all of creation, what they know that the Father cares for them, that the Father owns it all, and the Father's really, really generous. The scripture says this in Psalm 24:1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. I love how it designates that, the world and all its people. So you're talking about material resources, well, they're all the Lord's because that's the world. You're talking about human resources, well, they're all the Lord's because uh, he made everything. So like the world and all its people, they all belong to the Lord. And it's important for us to begin here. I I read the story some time ago. It's about a traveler who is between flights at an airport. And so she goes into a lounge and she buys this small bag of cookies. And then she sits in a newspaper and she sits down on the bench and, and she starts to read her newspaper. And then she hears some rustling next to her on the bench. And she realizes that there's a gentleman sitting next to her who has opened her bag of cookies and has taken one for himself. And so she's a little, you know, just, hey, this is so random. And so just to sort of exert her dominance, she reaches over and grabs a cookie and starts to eat it and continues to read her paper. And then she realizes that he's reaching in the bag again for another cookie. And so she's starting to get really steamed. So she grabs a bag, kind of huffy, and eats a cookie and continues to read her paper. This goes on and on until the entire bag of cookies is empty. There's one left, the guy reaches in, breaks the last cookie in two, silently hands her half the cookie. (laughs) He eats the rest and then takes off. Well, she's just sitting there steaming and and a few minutes later her flight's announced. So she reaches in her purse to get her boarding pass and there is her unopened bag of cookies. (laughs) So not only was he not eating her cookies, every cookie she had was his. (laughs) Friends, how you handle your cookies depends a whole lot upon whose cookies you think they are. So let me just cut through the chase. They're all God's cookies, right? Every cookie is God's cookie. You just need to understand they're all his, right? They're all God's cookies. But let me tell you this awesome truth about our father. He's very, very generous with his cookies, okay? In fact, I want you to say this with me. God shares his cookies. Can you just say that? God shares his cookie. He's happy to share. He shares. He always shares. Think about your life right now. I want you to think. I don't care how old you are. Think about every day of your life. You know what? God's provided food for you. God has taken care of you. You're all wearing clothes, most of you. God's provided clothing for you. Like, God has constantly shared his cookies with you, but he wants us to remember that they're his cookies, okay? And the scripture talks about that because how we view the cookies, it's gonna depend, are they his or are they mine, right? And the Bible reminds us of this. Deuteronomy 8, 17 says, you may say to yourself, 
my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. See, the culture, the pattern of this world says, no, no, it's me. I did it. It's, it's my strength, my power. It's, it's, it's my hands that have created. It's my creativity or my brains or my programming prowess or my connections or my negotiating acumen. I am the reason for my wealth. But no, 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 God is the source of all our income. The job we have is simply the means through which he delivers No, no, it's all the Lord's, right? And since he owns it all, we need to handle it in the way that he instructs us to handle it. So a couple more verses here. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and best part of all your income. You might want to circle that phrase. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and best part of all your income. Leviticus 27, 30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now that word tithe, if if you're not familiar with it, it's it's a Bible word, and all it means is 10%. Okay? 10%. So 10%, the first 10%, the best 10%, 10%, the scripture says, of, the, of your income, of your harvest, of your crops, whatever. It's the, it's the first 10% of your yearly income. That goes to the Lord. Your weekly income, the, the first portion goes to the Lord. And again, I want you to think about those cookies for a moment. God gives you 10 cookies. You're offering him one. Now, if they're his cookies, that's no big deal. But the problem is, we think, no, they're our cookies. And if they're our cookies, then we begrudge offering God one of ours. And that's why we have to keep coming back to this transforming place, right? This renewing of our mind that we can see, no, no, no. The truth, God owns it all. They're all his. That's the beginning place for this conversation. Uh, Second truth here, with renewed minds, we refuse to let guilt motivate our actions. We refuse to let guilt motivate our thinking about generosity. Pastor Ray Stedman told a story of of a man who had a guilty conscience because he had cheated on his taxes. So he finally wrote the IRS saying, I have not been able to sleep because of last year when I filled out my tax return, I misrepresented my income Enclosed is $500. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) Friends, I don't think guilt is a good long-term strategy for generosity. But I will tell you this, and you might want to write this down. There is no shame in course correction. There is no shame. There is no guilt in simply changing the way in which you have approached something. And, and, and so let me just be very, very honest with you. Every one of us, myself included, every one of us, we're gonna have areas of our lives where we need to do course correction. In, in our prayer lives, in, when, when it comes to habits that we have that are not healthy, that are bad habits, uh, relational investments and in how we value purity, all along the journey of life, there will be times when we need to do course correction. In fact, over the last couple of weeks, I probably have talked to maybe 30 different folks in the last couple of weeks about this issue of financial faithfulness. And many have let me know, hey, I'm making a change, Pastor. 
Uh, some have been previously giving nothing, not at all generous or financially faithful, but they're jumping in. They're starting to give at this level. Others have been given at this level. Hey, pastor, I've been given at this level, but I haven't been bringing the full time, and I'm gonna start doing that. And, and I just want you to know, if that's where you are, there is no shame in course correction. In fact, my respect level goes up for folks who do course correction. It, it, absolutely. Friends, why? Because course correction is all about the grace that Jesus offers us. At the cross of Calvary, Jesus is the one who purchases grace for each and every person. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. If we stand at all, we stand knee deep in God's grace. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, experiencing his grace and making course corrections along the way. Friends, guilt is no motivator at all, but grace is surely an awesome motivator. And so the scripture says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. This is not about a guilt trip, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So God is prompting each and every one of his children what to give, where to give, how much to give, that God, by the power of his spirit, is working in every single heart of those who follow Jesus Christ. And so if you're just here checking this whole Christianity thing out, you need to know that this is just about education for you. But if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, this is that challenge, right? Oh, yeah, I'm to listen to God's prompting. I am to be responsive to God's prompting, and I'm to give exactly what he's calling me to give. And when God's children are obedient to what God is prompting them to do, guess what? There's no lack for the children of God and the kingdom advances as mightily as God desires it to. So you just need to understand, this all works together. When we, number one, when we with renewed minds realize that God owns it all, number two, we refuse to let guilt motivate us. And then number three here, with renewed minds, we embrace generosity as a mark of character, not in response to circumstances. We embrace generosity as a mark of our character, but not in response to our circumstances. Because I know some of you might be sitting here and you go, oh, well, preacher boy, this is a nice conversation we're having, and I'm all for generosity. I, in fact, I would be very, very generous if I had more money, right? In other words, if my circumstances were more flush, well, then I'd be happy to talk about generosity. So I just want to unpack a little bit of this thinking. Um, a lot of research has been done around this. So I'm just going to cite one study done by researcher Christian Smith. He found that people who made less than 25 grand a year, so $25,000 a year or less, gave on average 4.2% of their income. That's how generous they were, folks making 25 grand or less, giving 4.2% of their income away. So then he researched a group of folks who made $100,000 or more. Now you would imagine since they make four times as much money, they would be four times as generous. Well, of course, that's ridiculous. They're not. Um, they make four times as much, they would at least be as generous. Wrong again. People who make 25 grand or less give 4.2% of their income, but people who make 100 grand or more give 2.7%. And people who are millionaires annually give even less. 
How much you give has nothing to do with your circumstances, but it has everything to do with your character. Now, you choose how much you're going to embrace generosity. You choose how you're going to embrace financial faithfulness. And friends, you choose it now before anything changes in your circumstances. This is what we can do. This is what we can embrace. This is who we are. And it has nothing to do with how much money is coming in. Look at this. This is a great quote. I want it to stay up on the screen for a moment. Don't tell me where your priorities are. This is a guy named James Frick. Don't tell me where your priorities are. Show me where you spend your money, and I'll tell you what they are. Amen. Now, that quote is challenging. Take a look at it. Some of you are so challenged by that quote, you read it, you go, oh, Frick. All right? <laughs> I wish my last name was Frick. I just want you to know. Anytime in life, somebody says, oh, Frick. I'd be like, yes? You need something? <laughs> to me, that sounds like heaven. Anyway, the, the quote is very, very true, right? The, the idea is, no, no, you choose now what your priorities are and you will spend money based on your priorities. This is a mark of your character and it has very little to do with your circumstances. In fact, what the scripture says, Jesus talks about this. He says, look, when you're faithful with little, God will trust you with much, true riches. But if you are unfaithful with little, God can't even trust you with that. Another scripture, this is, 2 Corinthians 8, 11, give in proportion to what you have. Well, God has blessed you. He wants you to give proportionally out of that. So it really is a thing that if somebody, you know, 25 grand or less is given at this rate, then the person who's making four times that would give four times that. And, and Jesus doesn't care about the dollar amount. I want you to understand he doesn't care at all about the dollar amount. There are many situations in Scripture where he makes it very, very clear. No, no, but he cares about the heart of obedience to the Lord. He cares about the heart that honors the Lord in being financially faithful. So I'm going to tell you three stories of folks who have walked this road of, of having a character that chooses generosity regardless of circumstance. The first, and they're all true, they're all friends of mine. The first is a, a pastor and he is a faithful pastor and, and, you know, started a church many years in ministry. But he and his wife have this desire that not only are, do they want to be faithful at a tithing level, but they feel like God is stirring them to every year increase the amount of their giving by 1%. So they start out as tithers, but then the next year they give 11%, next year 12%. They just, they live their life in a financial way that is increasingly generous. In the 21st year of my friend's ministry, he wrote a book and it became a runaway bestseller. Now he has more money to, to handle than he ever dreamed possible. You, you don't go into ministry if you think you're gonna get rich, you just don't. I mean, you, you go into anything else. You go into banking, programming, you go into you know, Burger King, like, like any, other, any other career path. Like you just don't, pastors just don't think about getting rich. And so suddenly now there's all this money at his disposal. And so he and his wife, they just made a decision. We're gonna be reverse tithers. And they live now on 10% and they give the Lord 90%. And they've been able to be reverse tithers ever since. Here's what I want you to know, because some of you are thinking, you're just wondering, um, Mike, is this, you know, a friend? Is this really you? Uh, the answer is no. I, I have written no bestsellers. 
No, no, friends, my books sell dozens and dozens of copies. They have impacted tens of lives, okay? <laughs> Next true story, it's a buddy of mine, and he's going to this incredible multi-ethnic church right in the heart of San Francisco. It's downtown. They're meeting in a theater, and the church is seeking to purchase that theater so that they can have it as a permanent home. And my buddy was working for a telecom company and, and ends up that the telecom company has an opportunity to acquire another company. And, and so that his job takes him from San Francisco to London first, then to Seattle. This is where I met him. And, and it turns out that my buddy becomes the key negotiator brokering the deal of acquisition. And once the deal is all the way done and settled, there's an incredible payday associated with it. And so my buddy calls up his former pastor in San Francisco and says, how much money would it take for you just to buy that theater outright? The pastor told him. It turned out it was quite a bit more than a tithe. But my buddy said, I'll tell you what, I want you to look in the mail tomorrow for a certified package. And in that package was a cashier's check for the exact amount of that theater. Now, I bring this up. I want you to understand, they, my two friends were already financially faithful. They were already living the kind of generous and faithful life before the Lord. And because, I would argue, because they were faithful, God realized I can trust them with more. And that's what the scripture says. Actually, God kind of encourages his people. Hey, I want you to test me in this. I, I know what a, what a burden finance is going to be. I know what the world is going to try to conform you into. So God says, I, test, I want you to test me and see that when you follow my path and live with a renewed mind, that there are blessings on the other side. This is what the scripture says in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. This is the Lord speaking. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. It's the only time in scripture God tells us to test him. Test me in this, God says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Friends, I just want you to know, the, the, the two stories I've just shared, that the reason why they were able to be such generous people on the backside of that story is because they had made a decision of their character on the front side. And they, when, when stuff was tight and when it was day to day and week to week and paycheck to paycheck, even then they were faithful to the Lord. So I'll share one more story. And it's a true story. I'm not sharing any names in these stories because I don't want to steal anyone's reward before the Lord. But this story is uh, of a dear sister here at Overlake. And she sent me a letter, three pages long. It, it made me cry with joy when I read about her heart. But this is a mom, she exists on $80 a week. She knows what it's like to worry about whether the lights are gonna be on. And yet her heart is to be generous before the Lord, and so that's what she's trying to model for her young child, and so they give in Kid Town, they give here in the services, but maybe not at the, at the whole tithe level. And so she wrote me this incredible letter, and she included in it her tithe for the week. Now, I just want you to understand that it's not about the money that's given. It's about the heart. And the Lord Jesus Christ looks at her heart. 
and he sees something beautiful. And what she models is what I hope each and every one of us get. It's not about your circumstances. It's about your character. And it's about who owns it all. And it's about refusing to get caught up in the patterns of this world, but rather seeking to live with a renewed mind that you would be transformed the further you walk with the Lord, the more obedient you are to him, the more you seek to honor him, not just with 10%, but with 100% of your financial resources and 100% of your time and 100% of your talents. And so we set our character and we become faithful and we become intentional and we become regular in how we handle our our giving, we set up giving online. Overlake has all these ways in which we want to be a resource to you in that. And, and so we just establish habits about when I, when I first deposit my paycheck, the first gift that I give, the first you know, check that I write, it goes to the Lord, that kind of a thing. And we do this, why? Because we have renewed minds. And we know that God owns it all. And we know that we're not motivated by guilt, but we recognize that we're developing our character. I was thinking about doing this whole talk around the, the issue, why should I trust God with my money? But when I talked to a buddy of mine, he said, shouldn't it be the opposite? Why should God trust you with his? Right? It's all his. And Overlake, there are many, many here who are walking the road of financial faithfulness, many who are walking the road of generosity. In fact, I just counted an incredible honor to be on the journey with you and, and to engage in generosity with you. Many of you know, I wrote a letter a couple of weeks ago, and we had a great first response. We, we just had an incredible, um, you know, a beginning to dealing with the financial reality that Overlake is, is facing today. And, and what I saw, the pattern that we saw was this, that those of you who are already faithful stepped up in your faithfulness. And those of you who are already generous to the Lord stepped up in your generosity, I am so humbled, I'm so honored to be in this journey with you, I can't even tell you. But what we also realize is that there is, there are this, there's this pool of families that Overlake is your church home. And by our, our best estimation, it's about 1,000 families that, that Overlake's your church home, your children are being raised in the Lord here, that this, this is a beautiful place for you to be on this spiritual journey, and yet you're not participating in generosity or faithfulness. So I just want you to know, if that's you, we're praying for you. I'm not trying to put guilt on you if that's you. I'm not trying to, you know, what I'm trying to do is just in reality. It's a reality check. It's where we are. And there might be some things that you're thinking about, and, and, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's some struggle for some of you. You're, you're struggling with, is the Lord really generous, and does the Lord really own it all, and and some of you are here, and again, maybe you're just checking this whole thing out. You're just sitting back with your arms folded thinking, this guy is so schmarmy. He's the pastor of Overlake telling me to give my money to Overlake. And I get it. If that's what you think, I, I get it because I was there for many years. If that is what you think, then here's my challenge to you. Don't give a dime to Overlake. You go find a church that you do believe in and you give there. Okay? I don't want your money, but I want every one of you to give. That's right. I don't want your money, but I want your heart to be for the Lord. Right? I, I, I don't want your money, but I want you to embrace the generosity that God is pressing on your heart right now. And, and so, yeah, if you, you, know, you just need to understand generosity, the, the idea of giving, it's for you. We're going to talk about that next week. It's not for the Lord. It's for you. It's for me. 
You know, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, Mike, if I give, then I'm not gonna have enough resources to take care of my needs. I don't trust that God will provide if I honor him financially. Maybe some of you are thinking, I, I just don't see how this whole thing is gonna work. Like, like I just, I know what it takes for me to get to point A to point B, and it's just not there. Some of you, in a weird way, money has become a sort of God to you that you completely lean on instead of trusting Jesus. And there are all kinds of thoughts about money. The world, the, the pattern of this world has all kinds of old thinking about money. And, and many of us are there. I just want you to hear me say this clearly. If you're being conformed to the pattern of thinking about money that this world has, you're in a state of spiritual bond, bondage. That there is, there's a kind of financial imprisonment that you're in. And the good news, friends, is you just need to understand, God loves a good jailbreak, right? That God is all about breaking the bonds, right? Ripping open those prison cells. He is all about setting our hearts and our lives free. So I wanna read you this passage of scripture from Acts chapter 12, verse five following. Uh, it's about Peter. It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. If you're here and you're in financial bondage, you need to understand that there is a core of Overlake praying for you. We don't want anyone to be in bondage. You're being prayed for right now, just like Peter was being prayed for by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, arise quickly. You know, I always laugh at that passage, right? I don't know why the angel hit Peter. Um, it's like, hey, buddy, wake up. No, no. It's like this. Boom. Get up. Pete, come on. We're leaving. Right? Just smacks him. So shows up, arise quickly. The chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself, tie on your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter had come to himself, come to his senses, he sort of woke up there, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Now, friends, I, I do know that the Lord initiates jailbreaks again and again and again. But in the context of our conversation, I think what happens is we wake up, we come to ourselves, our, our senses rather. And just like Peter, we don't say, oh, now I know that the Lord has delivered me from the hand of Herod. We say things like, oh, you know, God has delivered me from the hand of materialism, from the hand of greed, from the hand of idolatry, where I, I lean on money and not on Jesus, from the hand of stinginess, from the hand of mine, these are my cookies. He has delivered me from the expectations of keeping up with the Joneses, uh, of the expectations that I put on myself about how my identity is wrapped up in my earning potential or in my possessions. And now I see clearly why, because God has transformed me by the renewing of my mind. God has set me free. So we're praying for those thousand families. If, if that's you, we're praying for you. We're, we're praying for a jailbreak to happen at Overlake, a jailbreak that is systemic across our church family. And I want to finish our time together by giving you an object lesson. 
An object lesson is a specific instance of something that we hope becomes universal. And uh, so a little backstory. Overlake, many years ago in the early 90s, Overlake planted a church on Rainier Avenue called New Light Christian Church. New Light down on Rainier Avenue. By the way, the zip code that this church is planted in is the most diverse zip code in America. There are more languages spoken in this neighborhood than anywhere else in America. And so right here, there's this little church on, off Rainier Avenue. Pastor is Rick Danner. I had a chance a couple weeks ago to go down, spend a couple hours with Rick. We prayed together, had a great time together. And as I'm leaving, he, he begins to tell me about a little something that they're doing. By the way, they're a great little neighborhood church. They're blessing their city. It's just a beautiful ministry. But he says, you know, Pastor, I need to tell you, we're in the middle of a campaign right now. It's called the Raise the Roof Campaign. And the reason why they're doing this Raise the Roof campaign is because their roof is blowing off. The shingles of their roof are blowing off. And it's this, it's this beautiful little neighborhood church building, but yet he, he just kind of pointed out, you could see where all of the damage was being done. The total cost to put a new roof on this thing, $30,000. So I said, well, buddy, I'll join you in prayer. I, I want to, you know, overlegs with you in this, and we're going to pray for you. But then, over the last couple weeks, God's just been stirring my heart. And so I want you to know, this is the object lesson, that today's offering, we are going to tithe off the offering that's given, and we're going to give 10% to Rick Danner's church for raising the roof, okay? Now, I know that some of you, because you know the financial situation at Overlake, you know things are tight, some of you would be tempted to sit back and, and say, that, that's a foolish decision. You should get your own financial house in order before you start giving 10% to the Lord. Christians, that's the lie that hits every single one of us. That's the problem. We've even got financial advisors out there that are Christians that say, get your financial house in order before you start being generous and financially faithful to the Lord. So let me just tell you clearly, the object lesson is this. Being financially faithful to the Lord is how you get your financial house in order. Okay? Embracing the generosity that God's bringing, that's how we get things sorted. Okay? And you're seeing that model at Overlake Christian Church, and I pray it sweeps through each and every one of our households. Okay, so I want you to do this for me. T take a look at the card that was in your handout, and you'll notice the next steps on your card. We provide an opportunity every week for us to respond and to embrace some action items that God's given us. So the first and the second are about spiritual decisions of receiving Christ, either for the first time today or recommitting your life to him. And it's just as simple as, Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want to be in your path. I want to be aware of you. And, and so if that's you, check those boxes. We, we want to encourage you. We want to give you some resources that will help you in your spiritual journey. The third one there says, I'm course correcting in my giving. And only you know what that means. You don't have to write us a note here if you don't want to. But the idea is, you know what, I haven't been giving, but I'm going to start. Or I've been giving at this level, so I'm going to bump it. Or whatever that looks like. Whatever God's encouraging you to do, you're going to course correct. You do that. We just want to encourage you to celebrate that. Last one says, I want to pursue financial counseling at Overlake. Friends, we realize that our financial lives are a very real part of our spiritual lives. 
Some of us are in uh, difficult situations, and if that's you, don't, don't go through that season alone. Um, we'd love to provide counseling for you, really help you get your house in order, okay? So you can finish filling that out. <clears throat> you can drop it in the offering bucket as it's passed. What I want to do right now is I want to pray with you. So if you would, please bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just want to begin by telling you how grateful we are. We know that there is not a single place in Scripture, there is not a, a, a single ounce of your heart that tries to convince us that we need to give money so that you will love us. We know it's just the opposite. You have proven your love for us and you pour your love out on our lives again and again and again and our giving is simply in response to how you have so generously given to us. We love you, Lord. We confess today that all the cookies are yours. We love you and we confess that guilt will not motivate us, but your grace certainly will and we're so thankful for that. And Jesus, we just ask that you would work in our hearts right now to allow us to walk a road where our character is becoming conformed not to the pattern of this world, but Jesus, to your character. Now, we wanna follow in your footsteps and we wanna walk a road of financial faithfulness where you are pleased and you are honored and your kingdom rolls forward. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen.